dead. You know how it happened? Not sure. Come on, man, come on. It's incredible, really. Well, all the symptoms are consistent with death by... Ball to open. Ball to open. Yes, and what do you do? Some new development in the treatment of criminals, I believe. May I be permitted to continue? Oh, yes. Yes, please do. Thank you. Here comes the drums! Oh, here it comes, the sound of drums. Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who, the entire television show, the in all the canon that you've seen on that screen in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and we're a couple of Doctor Who loving journalists who occasionally write about the show. Uh, very often watch it, love to talk about it, and love to visit all of the episodes in random order. Pete, where on earth and in the stars have we been? Previously on Pull to Open, three episodes ago, we were at a very special episode of Doctor Who, a Christmas special, in fact. It was the uh, 2011 Christmas special starring Matt Smith. Got some Narnia vibes going on there, and the Doctor, the Widow, in the wardrobe. Not enough uh, Narnia vibes. Take... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> some superficial Narnia vibes. Yeah, I would say. could have, could have got more. Yes. Yeah, and then things got a little dark. We still stayed with the specials, but it was a 2009 autumn special <laughs> in <laughs> nice. the waters of Mars. This was yes the penultimate adventure for David Tennant, the tenth Doctor. And that was a great time. We also had some guests on that podcast. We had Rob and Liam from the Cloister Bell podcast who helped us with a lot of insights. We're still debating whether Gadget is a companion (laughs) to be determined in a future episode. But we have a system. We have this working system that you'll hear about soon enough. But from that, we were then rocketed back into the future, 24th century with a space arc about to land, not land, it was going to crash on Earth, but it was full of dinosaurs, though. What? What's going on? We needed a ton of random characters to help deal with that. And they dealt with it in dinosaurs on a spaceship. Uh, And that has brought us to today's episode. We have gone back to the Pertwee era, everybody. Back Mm. to the 70s, the 60s, the 80s. Who knows? 70s. 70s. Definitely the 70s. This one reeks of the 70s. So (laughs) looking at the unit dating controversy, uh, this one locked it in a little bit. Yep. Uh, it's, of course, Season 8, Serial 2, The Mind of Evil. Wow, yes. And if you, like me, could not remember whether The Mind of Evil was Pertwee or Troughton, uh, because it seems of a piece with many of the titles of that era. And in fact, I was, I was heartened to learn that the writer of The Mind of Evil did not like the title The Mind of Evil. Um <laughs> and, but yes, that is what we call it. But it is a Pertwee. It's from Pertwee's second season. It's the second story with the Master and Joe. And it mm. is the randomizer filling in a whole rock block of Doctor Who stories from Inferno uh, to then we did Terror of the Autons. We've done this. And then we have done, have we done the next one after yeah, this? Yeah, we've done the Claws of Axe. The Claws of, yes, that was it. Yes, I got so big. be our... our- most solid continuous block of Doctor Who adventures that we've done in the Pull to Open Codex, which of course is yeah. our complete listing of every televised adventure. Check the show notes. And uh, we've done, this is four. This will be a four yep. in a row that we've we've covered at various times in random. Which order. is the most that the randomizer does. So you've got to say the randomizer loves Pertwee perhaps more than any other Doctor. It really wants to fill in all the Pertwee gaps. 
Um, well, I'm say- just feeling sad because I think it, it, unless it's getting like doing these things where it comes back to the same era again and again, I don't think we're going to get mm. the ambassadors of death or the Silurians mm. anytime soon. But who knows? It's random. Who knows? It's, it could yeah. happen now. Uh, the randomizer does <laughs> seem to fall in love with certain doctors in certain periods. And right now, it seems to have fallen out of love with the fourth doctor, uh, which is I know. It's like we we used to say that Matt Smith and and Tom Baker were kind of missing from our adventures here a lot. Well, we certainly uh, sorted out the the Smith uh, lack, and and now yeah, that's that's going to be my uh, spoiler alert on what I'm going to ask the randomizer for next time. Uh, give us more Tom Baker, but yeah, Pertwee it is. I'd never seen this one. I was glad of the opportunity to see it. Definitely got some uh, Pigbin Josh vibes here. Uh, that's how I knew we were on yeah. the edge of close of access. Um, and uh, it's interesting, but we also, we have a bingo. I'll tease the bingo. Um, really? Not, not Is it me it. saying, speaking of things you love and speaking of our love for the fans, and <laughs> this is the part of the show where we talk about our own fans. And it's, of course, we're entering the pull to open feedback loop. Hey, check off your pull to open bingo card for the cheesy segue. Um, and what was the thing you were going to tell them? Because it's, I, by the I was going to say the actual, it's in the show notes. The bingo cards in the show notes, but I'm thinking of the bingo of as as we go through our random adventures collecting everything. We've now collected all Pertwee Cybermen. I, I didn't, we thought we'd done it. Ooh, right. We thought yeah. we'd done it with Carnival and Monsters, but no, it turns <laughs> out there's a very brief Cyberman in the Mind of Evil. It's not an original right. to the Pertwee era Cyberman, but yeah. I would have thought you would have noticed that. I did notice it. I I guess I didn't count it because it's... (laughs) It's the invasion. Like It flashes by. It's literally like a split second and it's kind of there. And is it... I can't even remember which one it is. Is it a moon-based Cyberman or is it a moon-based Cyberman? Invasion Cyberman. Mm. Okay. Appropriate appropriate enough for a unit-heavy story. But yeah, uh, anyway, we are in the feedback loop and we do love (laughs) you to play the bingo card. We also love it when you leave reviews and we especially love it when not only along your five-star review or whatever star formation you prefer, uh, you leave us a Doctor Who title in the form of an emoji. Yeah, guys, we love reviews. We love emoji title reviews and we love them more than the Keller machine likes evil impulses, guys. We (laughs) really just like feed off these things. Um, And if you leave a review, uh, whether it has an emoji title or not, we'd love to read it out on the show. And I would do that right now with someone who did this with just an emoji title. So you could that's what you can do. You could literally just leave an emoji title and this comes from Bananakin Skywalker of Ireland, who <laughs> left us this great review. And it just says, here's an emoji title. And there is a doctor emoji and an arrow going down. I think we might uh, know what this is, but I'm going to... Too easy. Have... <laughs> I'm going to throw too... this one to Chris, because I think I've figured it out. Too easy. The doctor falls. Bam. 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 There it is. You did not fall on that one, Chris. You (laughs) rose to the occasion to get that uh, emoji title. Indeed, yeah. Keep it coming, Banana Keep it coming, Walker. Yeah, 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 it's okay. You don't stump me on your first one. That's great. And also means that you will occupy that spot in the codex for World Enough and Time and the Doctor Falls. 
Um, I guess someone could still do World Enough in Time. Um, <laughs> maybe a number of Earths plus a clock um, would be... Not bad. World Is that enough, enough though? Is that enough world? <laughs> how do you know? How do you signify enough? Maybe a glass that's full. Um, but that's we do know from James Bond that the world is not enough, so maybe two worlds are enough. You know, it's funny. We just did dinosaurs on a spaceship, and mm. I think that's another one that's easy to do. And I even put it in one of our tweets. If you go check our Twitter, sixty three, <laughs> by the way, um, you just do. There's two. There's actually two dinosaur emojis, so you can have mm. plural dinosaurs with two different emojis, and then love it you know, rocket ship. Boom. Yes, there it is. Two dinosaurs on a spaceship. spaceship. Love it, and and maybe By throw way, in a this couple of robots. This goes right to the Codex, uh, and watch for it there. And your review, if you leave us an emoji review, will be permanently recorded in our Pulse Open right. Codex. So even That's better, right. and you get credit. We have credits for those. So good times. Awesome. Good way to go, Bananakin Skywalker. And speaking of ways to interact with us, you can also, if you're a Spotify listener like me, you can uh, not just rate the show on the app, uh, you can also, like we do, give a rating to every story we visit. Uh, You may know our rating system, Dalek for a good episode, Ogron for a bad episode, Professor Ata for a bad episode that we felt that we learned something like right. uh, dinosaurs on a spaceship or the Viscount Banger if it's the best of the best and we have the results are in from you the betcha. waters of Mars and over to Peter and... the decision desk <laughs> so what we've got <laughs> from the final count on the poll for what the waters of Mars ranks 94% 94% of the people rated on Spotify call this one a Viscount Banger wow the best of I... the best so this 6% is said it was a Dalek. Zero percent thought this was a bad episode, either Professor Hater or Ogron. So, so basically, Pete, ninety-four percent of people agreed with you and Robin Liam, <laughs> and I've only yep. got six six percent of people. I don't. Again, I don't want to be an election denier here, but like ninety-four percent—that's the kind of numbers you get in a in a uh, autocratically controlled election, right? This is. Uh, I don't know what's going on here. Oh, did did you vote multiple times? Get with or? the program. You just get with the program. <laughs> well, you know, I don't think I yeah. even voted in this one. I think I was like <laughs> mostly listening on Apple. I was like, let the people have their say. Yes, that's okay, my, that was my thing. So that's six percent. That's you and you know, like a couple people on TikTok. I will say that because I can. I'm going to use that as a segue to TikTok before I remind everybody. Um, to go to Spotify and rate this episode that's that we're right. about to do, The Mind of Evil, because we're doing these polls every week, and we'll ask you guys what your rating is. Occasionally, we might ask what you think our best explanation for the Clara Splinter is or the, the evil plot succeeding. Um, but on TikTok, The Waters of Mars, wow. I was not... Uh, well, I, I, I guess I was taken a little bit aback because we haven't had some viral hits in a little while, but holy cow, did a lot of people on TikTok remember... And have good things to say about the waters of Mars. Yeah. A couple of our posts went really viral there, um, and many people were recounting how this just freaked them out as a kid. Like the zombies, the horror stuff, the the fast paced action, all that stuff. But they were just like the water zombies in particular were just super duper scary. And the doctor going sort of dark at the end. I mean, you know, it was was great to hear from the TikTok crowd, which obviously skews a bit younger, just growing up with this episode and just being totally, totally behind the sofa, scared by it. So that was neat. 
a couple of comments really stood out. And these were on uh, the video where we talk about Waters of Mars leaning into that horror adult storyline. And um, this one uh, sort of gives us a good rundown and, and reminds us that this Waters of Mars was not the only episode in the Tenant era to sort of have this kind of atmosphere. So this is from Schmidt Send. And Schmidt Send mm. says the best episodes were the darkest ones Midnight. Waters of Mars, Blink, yeah. Satan Hit slash Impossible Planet, Listen, Turn Left, Best Episodes in the Series. And it's like, that's, yeah, it's like, might be more than you remember, right? <laughs> like, mm. There were a lot of sort of scary, frightening, dark episodes, particularly in the Tenet era, which you wouldn't think his doctor would have had as many. But, uh, you know, if you think about Russell T. Davies and this time, like, obviously super fan of Doctor Who, grew up with the hide behind the sofa, uh, mentality uh, really brought that to bear during his original run, and I think we can look forward to seeing more of that now that he's back. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes people think of RTD as like the Paul McCartney of, of showrunners. Uh, Paul McCartney also sort of unfairly maligned as not being a, a writer of dark songs, you know, uh, which is not entirely true. Right. But yeah, Turn Left, I would I would totally pick among one of one of the scariest episodes, and it's. It's totally, it's so RTD. Um, mm. Yeah, and uh, listen, it's nice that, to give a shout out from the Moffat era as well. Absolutely love that one. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's Because Waters of Mars was so much a, a filler episode for RTD to get to the end of the season. It's interesting. It might now be better remembered than uh, yeah. than last the time, uh, than uh, what followed it, you know. Um, yeah, for sure. The, en- the end of time, rather. Yeah. So we had one more comment I wanted to highlight on this, and it's from someone with the handle Agent Mothman. (laughs) And that person says, I think how present and actually impactful death is in this episode is what makes Mm -hmm. it so scary, which Mm -hmm. I tend to agree. I think this is one of the things, I don't think I used the word, but I think everything I said about this episode um, implied it, which is that it's just very visceral. And I think that's a when you have basically a zombie horror, I think that's one of the best things that zombies sort of bring to bear. Mm. Uh, it's obviously less psychological and more like, oh my God, I could die at any moment. And from, from the from the dumbest, not dumbest, but like the, the slightest thing, this thing is so deadly. Yes. And you just see these characters, some of which you've barely gotten to know, some of which you really get to know, um, die from uh, the water virus. Um, but then you have that very even more moving death at the end um, mm. as, as the show sort of is creating this situation with the Time Lord Victorious and Adelaide right. sort of shoots yeah. herself and you're, it really hurts you. Like it's, it's a, such a gut punch at the end, which clearly Tennant feels as, as, as Doctor feels too. Um, it just, you know, obviously works really well and it's why I think so many of these, so many people regarded as a bad count banger, but like the mm. the... The way it just treats death in this episode just just feels right um, and really guts at you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why it didn't hit home for me in the same way, but I, I do appreciate hearing, you know, I love it. We, we sort of had this thing with Midnight as well, right? Uh, that it's that there are hidden depths here, and it's one of those that we may have to return to in the future. But anyway, yeah. uh, speaking of returning, uh, we should return to the, the feedback loop and... Um, we're just talking about uh, YouTube, uh, which yep. seems to be going well. We got a big push to get to a thousand subscribers there. 
Yeah, it's and coming along. We're all, we're, I wouldn't say we're almost there, but we're at 600 subs and we're rising fast. Um, if you subscribe to the podcast already on your podcast app, feel please don't just feel free. Please go to youtube.com <laughs> slash open and subscribe there as well. It's really going to help the show. Uh, all of our episodes are there now. Every single one, every poll to open podcast that we have recorded is also now on YouTube. So you can binge listen or binge watch there as you like. Uh, we have all our short videos. So the ones that we primarily share on TikTok are all there now too. It's complete. We have like, it's not the codex. We'll find another word. The canon, the poll to open canon is now all on YouTube. Uh, so the check canon it out. It's complete. Um, yeah, we've got some great comments coming in there. We'll highlight comments there too, and uh, you get to see us. What what <laughs> what more do you need, folks? Boom! You get to see the yep. random you things see the, in our backgrounds. <laughs> exactly, you get to see all this good stuff, which will be clear soon. Um, and so those neat, neat little Capaldi looks almost looks Capaldi inspired gears. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got some gears coming out of my head this week and uh yeah 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 we go go to youtube and maybe just sort of have that in one corner of your window and then you can have your your hbo max window and your britbox window and uh you know watch watch the shows along with us uh maybe have another window for tiktok um and uh you know watch <laughs> or, or you know just go to youtube shorts watch our summaries speaking of summaries we yeah. should probably dive right in uh unless we, we want to talk about the shooty got my costume uh which well, i is... want to mention two things so one is that we're recording this on the weekend of gallifrey one and yes. i know there's been a lot of chat you know a lot of the other podcasts uh are talking about it or even there and uh there, i don't there's not a lot of news i think that has come out of it but it chris chibnall apparently has been on like every single panel he could possibly <laughs> get near and I, love it. I think it's great that he's super excited to share and talk. And, you know, there's a lot of goodwill, obviously, at these conventions and stuff, which I think is awesome that he's he's getting out there and um, just p- proudly talking about mm. his era of Doctor Who and all the the good stuff. Because, again, we we haven't been to Whitaker, I think. Si- well, we went to Revolution of the Daleks, but we did, uh, which we, we liked. And then we all but we also like even this first season when we revisited sort of, you know, like indiv- when you take it out of the mm. the period they're actually kind of maybe better than you remember so yeah um, yeah and and last week's episode yeah. if you haven't listened to it dinosaur and spaceship we actually end up talking about the chibnall era quite a lot uh because uh that was a chibnall episode because it sort of reflected in interesting ways both the the success and the shortfall of, of chibnall's era of writing so uh yeah i look forward yeah. to maybe, maybe next week we will find out more about what he actually said at ground Free one if there's any news about you know uh that we can use to retroactively look at the whitaker that'd be interesting um yeah. no i think there will be yeah. i think a bunch of interviews are probably getting uh processed right now yeah. Yeah. and will be uh pushed out during the week so exactly. there's that look forward to that uh also there was a, I tried to avoid spoilers and set shots on Twitter. Okay, I really do. But this was super unavoidable. If you were on Doctor Who Twitter at all, if you actually even ever looked at a tweet, I think, with the words Doctor Who in it, Twitter fed you this week the picture of Shudi Gadwa on set, which shows him in a coat that is different from the coat that ah. we, he, he was shown in the publicity shot, right? So I don't think this is a spoiler. I'm sorry if I, I should have said spoiler. It's a bit of a spoiler, I guess. 
don't go look at the code if you don't want to be spoiled about what it looks like. But it does look like he's he's just got a, a, a he's gonna be is he gonna be switching coats? I mean, I don't know if this is a controversy or whatever, but it is like this. This I think this photo is just um, it, it's something that's going to be unavoidable getting mm-hmm. going into the next season. So uh, interesting. Yeah, he's got he's got he's gonna have a couple of looks. And this one looks a little more. I don't know what, how to describe it. Festive. I love it. Festive. Okay. Okay. I, I'm not going to look, so I'm not going to ask you any more questions about it. But <laughs> so you haven't I, seen it? Have you not been on Twitter? I'm, <laughs> no, I have not. So I've been on Twitter. I've somehow managed to avoid it, uh, which is great. Wow. But I, I love the idea of a doctor having a backup costume and about that being revealed early because I was thinking in our recent visit Smith episodes how much I love his long purple frock coat that he ended up with. And mm-hmm. how much of his adventures are not in that outfit. And I wish that there right, was right. more of a switcheroo happening from the start. And it did kind of happen with Capaldi. Like Capaldi had his, you know, uh, he switched back and forth between his, his shirt and his hoodie. And um, yeah, I kind yeah. of like that, that he just right from the start, he was confident enough as a doctor to, uh, uh, to, you know, appear in multiple doctor guises. So yeah. Why should the yeah, doctor? Kind of. I feel costume? like that, that, that started to come a little later. Like they, he seemed a little prescribed at the get go because they had the costume yeah. reveal and he had his yeah. like uh, boots and in the magician sort of outfit. And they sort of mm. even knowingly mentioned magician in the, uh, I think in the caretaker. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, as I think as the season went on, they were like, why are we being so prescriptive about this? Like, it, yeah. you know, the doctor, dude, he, he could switch it out. And then of course in his second season, he was, um, you know, all over the map, and he was Doctor Disco glasses and everything else. Yeah, Doctor exactly. Disco season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. dude, from the get go, whatever, whatever you feel right in there, shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so good wear stuff. What you want. All right, well let let's let this podcast wear what we want. <laughs> we want to wear right now. Keep smashing nice. that bingo okay. card, guys. Yeah, Jesus. Um, we want to wear right now is a little thing we like to call TLDW. Oh. Too long didn't watch, too long Doctor Who, where mm-hmm. one of us will summarize the plot of the Doctor Who adventure that we're going to talk about in record time. And this one is The Mind of Evil, which is a six-episode serial. So for the classic series, we allocate 30 seconds for every 30-minute, well, 25-minute um, episode. And that gives whoever's doing this a full three minutes to summarize the plot. And that wow. someone is one Christopher Taylor. Chris. Oh, and I, I hate to say it. I hate to say it. I might need all three of those minutes because there's a <laughs> lot going on here. I mean, there's World War Three. I, think, I think you might get lost on the way to the coastline to dispose of the missile, so you're going to have to <laughs> go round and round. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to intercept my own convoy. Um, yeah, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready. Got got my tabs Are closed. I, I'm, tabs no. closed. No notes. No notes. No okay. notes. I'm ready. Well, to, I mean, right thought about this, but yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, here we go with the official pull-to-open summary of The Mind of Evil in three, two, one, go. 
Okay, so the Doctor and Joe are going to a demonstration of a new thing in a prison, Stagmore prison, called uh, the Keller Machine. And it's a way to take the evil impulses out of prisoners. And they see it happen to one prisoner, Barnum. Uh, but but something goes wrong and Barnum's like freaked out and he passes out. And they have to take him to the sick bay and the Doctor and Joe get involved. And and uh, the governor of the prison is like, no, no, no big deal here. No problem here. Uh, but then, uh, but then uh, he uh, drowned, apparently drowns in a dry room. And meanwhile, meanwhile, Unit is uh, uh, hosting this or uh, providing security of this international peace conference. Uh, but what's going on? There's a Chinese captain who's claiming that the papers have been stolen, and 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 then there's all sorts of shenanigans with uh, she she lures a U.S. senator uh, to to a room and then turns into a dragon, and basically all of it all of it comes back to the master, the master in his second outing. He's he's trying to disrupt One the minute. peace conference, and he's also trying to start World War Three. Um, and meanwhile, at Stagmore Prison, there's actually an inmate riot that takes over the prison, um, and uh, and the Doctor and Joe are stuck in there at that point. Are they stuck in there later? I can't even remember. I'm going to say yes. They they're stuck in there for a long time, um, and, <laughs> and it's basically uh, you know. Oh no, the Doctor, the other Doctor and Joe are stuck in Stagmore yeah, Prison for a bunch of episodes, and uh, oh god, and it gets just super. Oh yeah, the doctor is involved in like trying to talk to the Chinese delegates and trying to finish figure that stuff out. And basically, the master goes to the prison and he tells the prisoners, "Look, if you help me, uh, I can get you out of this because I, I need you to help me steal this missile. It's got nerve gas and it's also a nuclear missile. And unit is going to dump this in the sea. And I know this because they've been I've been intercepting." their uh communications so if you steal it for me then uh, i'll guarantee you your freedom so they do and they get the missile and the master tries to bargain with it and and um is gonna launch it at london and unit tries to take back the prison and the brigadier does this by impersonating a workman and um you know, and then they, uh, Mike Yates uh, gets back to HQ and escapes the master. And uh, finally, Two the, minutes do- the doctor offers uh, the, the, the master's dematerialization circuit from his TARDIS in exchange for the missile. Uh, but there's also shenanigans on, on the landing pad with the, the missile. And, and the doctor takes off in a helicopter and the master uh, kills Barnum and escapes in the confusion back to his TARDIS. And he has dematerialization circuit so that uh, he can go on and the doctor is still stuck on earth with joe and the brigadier uh but the brigadier gives him a nice smile to signal that they're still friends even after all of this time wow right on the money wow nicely done i must have missed some meandering Oh God! You know what I missed is the damn Keller machine. I missed the Keller. Like I, I just (laughs) barely mentioned it. I abandoned the Keller machine, and you know, I said it it killed the governor. Does it kill the governor? Like (laughs) I, I honestly can't remember. Yeah, Um, yeah, I forgot to mention. Yes, let let me just do you know a uh, TLTW addendum. Uh, is that I forgot to mention that the Keller machine becomes sentient and starts moving around the prison and, and uh, appearing and disappearing. And yes. it even affects the master and the doctor has to tie a rope around it of electricity. And the master, it, the doctor sees scary, his scary things are uh, a planet on fire. 
which is supposed to reference right. Inferno. And uh, just everything from a zombie to a Dalek to a Cyberman to... Uh, did you notice Coquillian from um, The Rescue? I did. Yeah. I saw Coquillian. There was an Ice Warrior there in, I think, the last one, too. The Super old version, school, uh, yeah. The Keller Machine. Yep. Yeah. You know, it was funny. As you were, as you were doing the plot summary, I was briefly tempted to start sort of trying to do the music from the episode because <laughs> it's just so intrusive the whole time. It's so intrusive. The poetry here, ladies okay. and gentlemen, when they really want you to know that they bought a synthesizer. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of fun. I mean, this is the thing. It's the thing about this, okay? So my, th- take, my broad take on the mind of evil is like, this is it. This is 70s John Pertwee, Doctor Who. This is the era, and this is a sort of a textbook example of what everyone is nostalgic about, which mm. is unit doing their stuff at their prime, uh, doing things that you would probably think the regular army should be doing for some, <laughs> but for some reason, units are doing it, and the Doctor helping them out, and all being James Bondy with mm. things that are like missiles and the masters around and there's sci-fi aspects to it. Like the machine, uh, that's can suck emotions out. I don't know. We'll get to the Keller machine and the inconsistencies there mm. at some point, but this is, this is kind of it. So yes, I mean, the story meanders like crazy. There's a way too much going on. It's probably two to three episodes too long, Yeah, but it's, it, I can't hate on it too much because it's like, you know, this is this is fun 70s Doctor Who at its peak. It is. I mean, I kind of did hate on it too much uh, <laughs> while watching it. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, when is this thing going to be open? I mean, first of all, I will say that I sat up any time Roger Delgado was on the screen. Um, yeah. And that's despite the fact that the master is not really treated well in this. He has a few really good scenes, uh, not enough good stuff with the Doctor. Like, they really later on leaned into his back and forth with the doctor. It is nice that right up front, they have them working on the same side, at least once yeah. in the story to control. Well, that was a great machine. scene. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really neat little twist. I watched this with my daughter. My son was a little more interested in watching the Brooklyn Nets games this weekend. So <laughs> he's let this one out. Yeah. But, fair enough. Uh, my daughter, when she saw that scene where the, the master basically enlists the doctor's help in controlling the Keller machine, She's mm. like, he's acting like a companion. Yes. It, it was it was a very kind of astute observation because the, the master's like, so so what do I do here? Okay, I'm gonna do this. Okay, sure. And you're you're gonna go to that. Like he's just they're kind of like hanging out together uh for a brief bit. And there's still those good sort of lead-in scenes where he the master's appealing to him as like we're both time lords, and then the stuff mm. later on where they're haggling over the dematerialization circuit. But I like that they kind of call a bit of a timeout on their rivalry for a bit to deal with this machine, which was, they, cool. they enjoy their rivalry. That much is clear. Um, you know, it's it, the master at this stage is too much of a cigar chomping villain. You know, there, there are definitely some literally, yeah, literally chomping There's on a cigar, two, two scenes at least where he's yeah. just got that stogie and he's just like, all right, I and, mean, it's fun um, for Delgado, but it's a little, uh, yeah, and he has a nose. car and driver. He's, he has a chauffeur, right? Which is another yeah. weird note. Like, screw this traveling by TARDIS business. I'm traveling in style, baby. And he gets a, a hip 70s guy to be a chauffeur in his limo. Um, yeah. 
And it's just it's sort of never quite explained. But also he likes dressing up as as common people. Uh, which is which mm-hmm. I, I feel a lot better for thinking that Pigman Josh, when we see him at the start of the Clause of Access, was the master because he looks so much like <laughs> the master's disguise in this. <laughs> yeah, he's got that mask, which isn't terrible. I mean, you're not supposed to notice, you know, maintenance people like that. They're just kind right. of whatever. He's just put, putting in the phone tap so he can listen to Captain Yates's plans later. Exactly. Um, and it, it would have been so easy and so British to just sort of hide in plain sight as a phone operator maybe with it like a flat yeah. cap on no one's going to pay attention to you in, in class conscience conscious britain well he kind of yeah. does because there's yeah. a bit there where he goes in the tent the black, the red and white yeah. tent and he takes off his disguise and he just kind of walks out and it's like well yeah. wait a minute you were you were weren't you just in front of unit hq are you you're walking out with a <laughs> mask now like yeah you know what, what happened Having said that they don't really have the master figured out yet here, actually, this is classic master behavior, because didn't he do that in Mark of the Rani as well? Like, he's just abandoning his right. disguise as soon as he sees the Rani. He's like, oh, <laughs> it's me! Did you miss me? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the, he also, like, this is why it's like one of one of the few dud notes in Legopolis when we went to that, we talked about the weird fact that it's a cliffhanger where the master and the doctor shake hands. And, and agree to right. work together for the good of the universe. Like, it's that was not the first time that has happened <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. They always right, have a moment no. of like, I guess we're fighting on the same side now. Yeah, yeah. I guess because the stakes were so high in that one, yeah. you're, it's supposed to be more dramatic. Um, but I think one thing yeah, that totally. they might have they might have changed about this if it was later era master is as, as great as that scene is where we see that the master is affected by the Keller machine and what he sees mm. is the doctor. It, and it's a great scene because the doctor is huge, towering above yeah. him. You know, great use of, you know, just camera overlay, special effects. Uh, really sticks in the brain. But I don't think that is accurate. Like, the master isn't really scared of the doctor. Right, right. Agreed. He, he actually well, loves the doctor. Exactly. And I think it, it's a sort of a misread. I'm not, I don't necessarily think it's a misread on the master, um, his motivation so much in that he, he wants to show he's smarter and better than the mm. doctor. Um, and he's, his feelings toward him are kind of warped. And to your point, I think in, in, in a very real way, it's, it's love. It's this deep, deep attachment. Mm. Um, I think what well, the problem here is that the Keller machine itself and what it does and what it's trying oh, to God. tap into people is is all over the map. I mean, it really it's, it's just probably the most inconsistent monster in Doctor Who mm. in terms of its ability and even motivation or whatever. Like it's it's it just makes no freaking sense. Um, the Keller machine definitely had too many fathers. So so Don Houghton. The writer, am I, I am pronouncing his name right, Houghton? Um, I think so. He, yeah, he. Uh, so he wrote Inferno. So obviously he he can write some good stuff. Uh, didn't like the title, The Mind of Evil. I think it was the Pandora box that he was he wanted to call this mm. uh, originally. Uh, hated that it was changed on him by Barry Letts. Um, but he was inspired by Clockwork Orange. Yeah, right? you that, can that see whole that notion. Yeah, yeah, it's a very clear Clockwork Orange reference. Um, it's also, by the way, the closest Doctor Who gets to the notion of capital punishment. 
uh, in that that scene at the start right. where all of the bigwigs file in to watch this demonstration of the Keller machine. And and the Doctor actually has a line where he sarcastically implies that capital punishment is not a good idea, which still controversial in 70s Britain. You know, the, we'd had capital punishment, uh, I think the last execution was in the 60s, so it was still fresh. Mm. And you still had a majority of Britons believing that we should have capital punishment. So it's still in the news. Um, so to have the doctor come out against it is very interesting. Anyway, you, you have a scene set. It's almost like you're going to watch um, the character right. die. Uh, God, what was his name again? Bon, bon, Bonwell. Barnum. Yeah, thank you. Barnum, the yeah. gentle giant of the story. Barnum, uh, right. who just sort of sits there. <laughs> well, uh, because that's the weird Barnum, thing is that it works yeah. on Barnum. Yeah. It works. Exactly. That's like it, it sort of undermines the whole premise that this is wrong and this is bad because it actually turns Barnum into kind of a good guy, even if he's kind of lost most of his mind or something. It's weird. Well, it is weird. And I think that if they tried, there's almost some decent philosophical points they're, they're making here, mm. um, yeah. which is that Barnum's evil impulses are removed. So he becomes kind of a simpleton. Yes. And what that says, I think there's there's a, a subtle point there about like what that says about evil and innocence, and that you you couldn't you can't have a smart, pure good person, right? Like you just you need to be able to turn on a little bit of darkness hmm. to really sort of almost get anything done or have any kind of advanced thought, which I think is maybe may or may not be true, but it's an interesting sort of point to make, and I wish they'd sort of gone a little further there. Uh, it's know? a little almost like the the original Star Trek almost made this point to some extent, or did kind of make this point in the Enemy Within, where Captain Kirk gets split into good and evil, and mm-hmm. neither one can fully function. You know, and I think there's a, sort of a similar point almost being made here, but it never really goes anywhere with it. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You you've reminded me by saying Star Trek. You reminded me of Spock's brain, whereas the moment where the where McCoy. Uh, becomes super intelligent for a moment where he's trying to fix right. uh, Spock's brain at the end of it. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, that reminds me of Flowers from Algernon. Have you read that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, <clears throat> Which is what I, where I thought we were going with Bonham, you know? Yeah. At least so he the other, has the, other the point recovery I think, from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the other point I um, think they're almost making with the Keller <clears throat> machine is like, has to do with the, the effect of the Keller machine, which is that it's killing the minds of its victims or convincing, killing by convincing them yeah. in their minds that they're about to be, they're about to die from the thing that they fear most. And, but it's also that another thing they sort of say is that evil, it's drawn to evil, mm. you know? So that's why it sort of runs away from the doctor and goes after um, the, the other guy. I forget his name, Mailer, I think it is. Right. And, so it's it's drawn to evil. It wants these evil impulses. This is almost saying there's a very, and I think this is a, actually probably the better philosophical point, that there's evil and fear go hand in hand. Mm. That basically the most evil people are also the people who are the most scared. Mm. And that's, I, that's I like point. that point. Yeah. You know? And, and that that there's there's and you know you kind of can even see that in echoes of the master not just in this episode but throughout this insecurity you have when you're you're evil and you just need to sort of prove something, um, so so I I, I kind of like that this is sort of like me a little bit 
trying to fix the Keller machine and yeah, as, yeah. As, a, as a monster in my mind. And it's more interesting if I think of it this way, because it's, it, it does a deep thinking about it this way. does a decent job of writing away at least some of the inconsistencies. Cause if you think about yeah. it, it, it's, you know, Barnum gets his stuff, evil impulses taken out of him. Um, but then it's the, the, the creature, I guess it's a creature in there seems to start forgetting about that and just starts killing people. Yeah. You know, presumably by making them scared. Uh, although the special effects later don't really imply that they, they, they sort of also forget about the showing fears and, and I wish they, they hadn't, you know, even though, yeah, sure. He's killing nameless, faceless prisoners, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. everyone's scared of something. I think it would have been more fun, certainly. And more interesting. And more consistent, even if they are just sure. throwaway, like someone's mm-hmm. scared of being killed by a car, show a, a, a car hitting them or something or, or whatever, right. like, you know, getting hit by an arrow. I don't know. Um, that everyone's scared of weird things. I like, yes. that'd be a good one. I mean, uh, I, I can so. see why they wouldn't do that, which is that this, this particular story went so over budget, uh, that, <laughs> uh, the director was actually never hired again. Uh, the budget part of it went on the getting that helicopter that's right at the end. Um, oh. to, just to spirit the doctor and Joe away from, the uh, the size of the missile, which by the way, does the missile explode at the end? I'm not entirely clear on that. I th- I don't think so. No. Oh wait, you know, yeah, it does. They they blow it up, right? But we don't. Something, but like, like it's a control explosion, so it's not a nuclear explosion. I'm presuming, and the they okay. they dealt with yeah. the nerve gas in there. <laughs> I mean, it's this is a freaking dangerous <laughs> missile. And they're going to drop it in the ocean. I mean, that's the other thing about this. It's like, what? Like, you know, we're supposed to dispose of this in the sea. This nerve gas nuclear weapon. What the hell? Maybe the International Peace Conference should have dealt with that. Well, I mean, it's and it's happening at the exact same time, which is this thing. Like, it's like, like you're imagining the brigadier just with phones all around his face, like J. Jonah Jameson in this old Spider-Man cartoon. <laughs> yes. We have the peace conference and there's a nuclear mission plus the masters loose. And like, Oh my God, someone burnt the souffle. <laughs> hey, you're getting, a bit, you're, you're getting a bit ahead to the uh, Clara splinter there, but uh, yeah, it's <laughs> so, so what's interesting. So in 1971, as this was being screened, um, uh, a bunch of countries ratified something called the Seabed Arms Control Treaty, uh, which prohibited the emplacement of nuclear weapons and other weapons of mass destruction on the seabed and the ocean floor and in the subsoil thereof. So, unit, <laughs> we're going to have some words. Uh, well, first of all, I think this does show that it's definitely in the 70s, not the 80s. Totally. <laughs> Just clearly before this treaty kicked in. Um but yeah, like what the hell? Like actually, well, the master, like, the master's doing good, good work by not letting them do this. It's this is unfortunately I don't know who did this, whether it was Don <clears throat> Houghton or <clears throat> the script editor. And we're really zeroing in on the missile, but you kind of have to because you have to. It's it's some of the dumbest writing. The, the MacGuffin, it's yeah. just like well, but it's like it's nerve gas and it's nuclear power. They say both, right? And yes. I think people have kind of retreated a little bit and interpreted this to mean it's, it's a nerve gas missile. And, but they do say it's nuclear. Like, how does that, how does that work? It's nuclear powered. So is it a warhead or is it like a, like a, 
a submarine so it could like circle the earth a thousand times if it had to because <laughs> the drive is nuclear i mean like what are you talking about like it's just like it's just dumb it's like let's have the most uh stakes raised MacGuffin with throwaway dialogue we can do and it just ends up sounding stupid but yeah they're disposing of it here and now while the peace conference is going on plus it's like I think this is going to affect the fish if you throw it down there. And I actually thought for a second, hey, wait a minute, maybe this is what creates the weed. Yes, from, <laughs> yeah, from, from uh, what, Fury from the Deep, absolutely. Well, you know what it reminded me of was uh, Battlefield, uh, another story we've right. been to with a missile where the threat isn't very clear and exactly how is this going to work? More gains going to fire this and what's going to happen? How is she going to start World War Three? Um, yeah, and I gotta say, know, how, did, because, how did Unit ever get the job to oversee the transport of another missile after this episode? It's like, okay, like, come on, you guys. You yeah. lost another nuke? <laughs> yeah, maybe they actually weren't supposed to dispose of, of it in the sea, but they're just like, we can't figure out where to take this thing. It's just, you know, dead of night, <laughs> drop it into the ocean, drop it off a big cliff. No one will know. Unit just, they have the worst maps. They're they're just wait a minute. You see, like there is that, just like it's upside down and what's going on? I don't there know. There is that weird scene where the brigadier says map, and someone brings him a map, and he's like looking. Oh yes, I think that the convoy. Like, why didn't you have the convoy's route pl- plotted out already? I think the convoy was yeah. here. What the hell? What kind of fly-by-night operation is this? And you're running security for an international peace conference at the well, same time? How did you get double booked? <laughs> well, that's exactly it. He was too busy planning the peace conference and the security for that. He couldn't, didn't have time for them. He just, you know, he told his boss. He could, yeah, no problem. I just told himself he'd figure it out later. Yeah, you know, if, it, something. if this is modern who, there'd be a prequel. Uh, where the brigadier just like <laughs> accidentally double books himself. And, you know, we just have a lot of close ups of Nicholas Courtney with his eyebrow raised going, Oh, why, yes, Benton, I seem to have double booked myself. That's no problem, is it, Benton? We shall take care of that, won't we, Benton? You know, um, <laughs> yeah, that's my Nicholas well, Courtney. They are impression. a bit You're welcome. <laughs> That's very well. He does a pretty good impression in this one. So Nick Courtney gets to play dress up toward the end. Yes. He. And he- <laughs> The Trojan oh horse he even directly <laughs> references it, and he gets a van full of unit guys, about right, roughly eight or nine, while the rest of his army, or I guess battalion or whatever, comes through the catacombs or the secret passage because it's a castle. So there's got to be a secret passage underneath, and so they all weird. come together and shoot a bunch of people, which yeah. is kind of fun. <laughs> so but that. yeah, the the brig actually adopts a workman's disguise himself, showing the master how it's done. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and puts on puts on a working class accent that you, you can yep. tell. And it's really it's it's very good actually. It's Nicholas Courtney playing the brigadier, playing a working class delivery guy. Right? It's clearly <laughs> like if he was doing that as an actor, he would have done a better job. But I love that the the brig thinks that he can pull this off. Yeah, he gets it's to just, say the word nosh. It's nosh. Yeah, it's nosh. <laughs> and a few bowls of booze be your governor. <laughs> yeah, he gets them with the booze. It's like you're 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 a prisoner. You're you're like a criminal. You're into booze, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> That'll get you. <laughs> By the way, so... these prisoners are some of the best dressed I've yes. ever seen. Like everyone yes. gets a tie. They're basically <laughs> like a band. You know, they all have <laughs> uniforms. A band on the run. And, this is the 70s yeah. era. 
<laughs> wings. And the guy, the guy uh, at the end, honestly, he was more convincing than the guy at the beginning who's guarding the front door. they could have been the same guy like it's like that guy probably used to be a cop before he you know did something bad and is now on the wrong side of the law so i have so many directions we can go in here but first i want to note you you noticed the prisoner's costumes did you know the costume designer on this story got arrested and taken to prison (laughs) during the production of the story it was a premonition this story was, that's crazy yeah. he'd, 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 he'd um they discovered that he'd stolen from his pre- previous employers uh which oh. was some well-regarded fortnum and mason kind pirates type company so i guess they you know is that old school thing oh he, he worked for there he must be a good chap you know uh but no it turns out yeah, he was a thief he ended up in prison yeah. they had to visit him in prison to find out where the costumes were uh, so yeah, yeah. they are doing some actual research for Stagmore prison, which they wanted to film it in the prison. <laughs> they couldn't do it. Um, it's a bit weird. It's like the, the only time Dr. Who's really explored an, an earth prison. Obviously we've had lots of space prisons. There's a connection with mm-hmm. revolution of the Daleks. Uh, but yeah, we get to see these sort of, you know, these cockney louts in this prison and they're all like, you're, you're not trying <laughs> to pull a fast one on me, are you? And they're all so easily knocked out and, you know, hit over the head with a tray or, you know, they're, they're just kind of cartoon prisoner villains. It's, it's so bizarre. They are, but there's like so much killing in this one. I got to mm. say like the body count is very high. So it seems like there are three big groups that get like slaughtered, right? One is like when the prisoners take over the prison is I, I, mm. I feels like they kill all the guards and everyone. And cause you never see them again. So I'm just assuming they did. Um, and then when they go uh, to capture the missile, the, all those unit guys get slaughtered. They all get just shot and killed and only Benton and Yates survive. It right. seems like. Conveniently. A whole, a whole bunch of unit mm. guys get totally killed. And then yeah. when unit storms the prison, like it, this is the most graphic stuff. Like all the, the unit soldiers are full on soldiers, just blowing people away left and right. So it's yeah. like, okay. And there were also uh, some respect. mercenaries. The masters hired some mercenaries in army costumes, which is because they, mm. they didn't some, there was some miscommunication. They accidentally had guys in army costumes in that scene, uh, fighting on the master's side. Like it was, <laughs> a total oh, mess in <laughs> the costumes. Fact, so they had okay, to write in that I, line. Yeah, yeah. I barely followed that, so I guess like yeah. I didn't understand what they were trying to say. But it's like it was such a it's such a confused story that meanders. You just it, it just didn't even matter. Like everything was whizzing by me at that point anyway. And then there's a bit where Mike Yates sort of drives off on a motorbike, but then he hits this pile of uh, <laughs> like pallets. Or something, you know, he like just it's really weird stage scene, it looks like, where he just sort of right. drives the motorbike into a bunch of pants. That was an accident. That was just that it was oh, supposed wow. to cut to stuntman driving off on bike. But they kind of liked that scene, Richard Franklin himself doing that. And it was totally accidental that he ran into that big pile of wood. Uh they were like, No, keep it. Let's keep it in. That's <laughs> that's how Yates fell off his bike. That's fine. That's how they rolled in the 70s. Exactly. But really, like, this episode, as we said it before, but you could really subtract two entire episodes, maybe three even, mm. and still have uh, of the story, you know, and probably yes. a better, tighter story. So here's what I think could go. Like, I think 
a lot of sort of the buildup to the master, like that stuff with Kettering, which isn't quite a mm-hmm. mislead, but it's like, it's a sort of a needlessly slow rolling the master involvement and reveal, which happens, I believe in episode two. And again, we'd already talked yeah. about it, but it's one of the worst master reveals. Certainly it's just mm-hmm. kind of like he goes into a tent and takes off the mask. So you could get rid of that. You could most definitely get rid of, I would say probably episodes, episodes three to five, you could excise two episodes worth of stuff out of there in terms of like the prisoners and Joe and the doctor and all yeah. this back and forth with the master and getting stuff. And it, it, it's, it's yeah. so long. You start to wonder like, why hasn't anyone taken back the prison at this point? Like, why isn't this national news? You know, like, it, <laughs> exactly. like they're just kind of hanging out in this prison that, that they've taken over. Like surely someone's noticed by now because it's been seemingly forever. It's because the brigadiers casually slapped a D notice on it. Uh, I don't know if you caught that oh, reference. Yeah. But, I did like, catch D- that. D notices were, it was actually controversial at the time, around about this time, news of a robbery was, was denoticed. Um, and it turned out to be because there was a member of the Royal family, uh, would, would be embarrassed by, I don't know, by things that had been stolen or like, it was a shady story. I don't think we ever got the full story, but it was totally a misuse of the D notice, uh, which is a mm. real thing in British politics. Okay. So see, to see the oh, Brigadier yeah. be so casually, you know, uh, anti-press, anti-free press, yeah, that doesn't, mm. that does, hasn't aged well. Um, but yeah, aged well, but it's, 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 in keeping with, I think, what we know the Brigadier to be, he's very efficient. He'll kind of do whatever it takes to mm. win for uh, seemingly Queen and Country or the United Nations, depending on the episode. This one seems a little confused about that, right? Because they're mm. doing security for a peace conference, which does sound a little bit like something Unit would do. But the disposal of the Thunderbolt is very much seems like it's a British thing. Because this is yeah. like a British missile that they don't want anyone to know about, so yeah, they're being what? super secret about it. But does isn't sort of the brigadier duty bound to the United Nations here? Like, yeah. why would you entrust unit to this? It's and it is weird, and I think part of it is because they did get a missile from the RAF. That is an actual missile. That's not a prop. They they got something okay, from so the they, RAF. I think that Barry Letts talked the RAF into helping out by saying that they got the army involved in the previous season. I, I don't remember when that was. Mm. The RAF was like, oh, well, we've got to, we've got to appear on Doctor Who too in some way, right? Um, but yeah, so so I think they just sort of wrote it in, didn't think about it. But yeah, absolutely. That should have been the Air Force's job to dispose of that. Mm. And maybe if you're going to drop it into the ocean uh, in absolute violation <laughs> of this ocean bed treaty, do it somewhere else. I put it in a plane and drop it. You know, go take it, South take Atlantic. It to Canada, guys. Exactly. Under the ice, no one will find it until global warming centuries later. But exactly, good. that's why Canada is so small in uh, dinosaurs in a spaceship. <laughs> they found the missile. No, um, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, there's so we okay. We we we've we've, um, we've harped on the problems. Yeah, it's definitely too long. There are definitely too many scenes with with Doctor Summers. Love you, Michael Sheard. You know, definite friend of Doctor Who appeared in many many episodes. But he's not. It's not a good character here. He spends so long in well, that I cell say, with Joe. Jack Jack stayed for the first episode, and yeah. he thought that Doctor was actually kind of competent. Which I think mm. it's a little bit refreshing to see, just because often you see the Doctor either competed with or you know sort of dismissed uh, or you know and there's some incompetent person 
maybe kind of seemingly working against him. But this guy was like, oh, he's actually good and good at his job mm. and sort of trying to help them out. He, But again, so long, it's he, he has might even have two or three incidents where he's insisting on protecting Joe, which again, I like the instinct. It's just, it's so repetitive. It's just like, yeah. okay, either, either what you're kind of almost waiting for this guy's like great scene and he never quite gets it. But I got to say, like, I, I, I don't know if this was subtle at all. Cause if it's so subtle, I, I think it, everyone missed it, including the adults. But the fact that Joe as a woman is now a prisoner of all these, you know, bad prisoner types mm-hmm. uh, in a prison, like, you know, you do in an, in an adult situation, that's extremely like, uh, <laughs> it could go extremely yeah. dark, extremely quickly. So yeah. I do like his instinct to protect her. Um, so uh, more points there. So again, I like the guy never gets a great scene. Yeah, he really doesn't. It's unfortunate. And and then when, when the actual, when our doctor gets taken to the same cell, you know, a little later on, mm-hmm. it's like, oh God, we're we back here again. Uh, the only good thing about that cell is the game of checkers that, that Joe and the doctor are playing <laughs> in it, in which Joe kicks the doctor's ass. And the doctor's like, well, the problem is it's too simple a game. I prefer three-dimensional <laughs> chess, which isn't that just chess? Yeah. <laughs> isn't chess three-dimensional? <laughs> I mean, You're supposed to say five-dimensional chess, it, yeah. The gameplay isn't, but... I take your point. No, it's but it's such a pertwee line, you know. He's just, he's arrogant. This is the thing. This yeah. is a great line. Something uh, Liam and Rob observed yes. um, when we were doing Waters of Mars and talking about the arrogance of various doctors, and they all mm-hmm. have it to some extent, some more than others, and in different ways. Pertwee is definitely one of the more arrogant doctors, mm-hmm. and it's charming. He's he's fun, and he's he's you know he wins you over, but he's he's never going to not remind you he's the smartest guy in the room yes um so you know it's all right uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> i mean i don't know if it's all right but <laughs> it's his character but but we should you know i wanted to give the mind of evil props i'll give it props for a couple of things first of all that i'm still thinking about it you know a couple of days after mm-hmm. after viewing the whole thing like it's still it's churning in my head it's definitely you know it has an afterlife in your brain which uh, a lot of the best, best doctor who does but i also give it props for being enlightened uh in in the early 70s in a time that was not necessarily very enlightened about uh how you play race on television uh in that mm, it had all yeah. of these chinese delegates um it could have gone very wrong um instead you have captain chin li um, who is uh, Captain Chin Lee, who is uh, one of, well, is played by Pix and Lim, who's actually the wife of, of Don Houghton. Um, oh. And yeah, I so she, that. yes. I should have known that. Yeah, so she's uh, the writer's, writer's wife, plays the, the Chinese captain in this. And okay, there is one moment that is, is just so, it falls so flat and sounds such a bad note that I'm just going to say that it's just <clears throat> you know we we can easily retcon it but mike where mike yates says as captain chinley oh, walks yeah. out that she's she's quite a dolly <laughs> first of all i think don houghton should have run on set at that point and punched him in the face secondly i think that uh 
that was, you know, a lot of people have pointed well, out, like, is Mike Yates later on turned out to be, you know, in, in Big Finish, he, it, it turns out he's, he's gay, right? Isn't that now canon? I think it's implied. I forget. I think it is. Um, hmm. I remember we talked about this. The only Big Finish I've listened to with Mike Yates is the one with the bugs. Um, I forget what it is. It's the, the hornet's nest, I think. Okay. Um, but so, certainly, like, he's, he's on and off romance with Joe is, like, he's well, not... He never is, is, he, is he gay? Is he bi? I don't know. You might, mm. and maybe he's just appreciating a good-looking woman in the way a seventies, early seventies guy would. Um, but he's so not convincing. Line, I think. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, I guess maybe good that's point. it. <laughs> you know, he wrote the line, and I think, I think, given the seventies, you know, like this is kind of what you did. You, this is, you know, you complimented women, and it was done in, <laughs> everywhere, including the workplace, and that went on yeah. for, for well over a decade after this. I and guess, today, and I guess certainly it, in 2023, we were you, you can't. I mean, plus, some people think no. this is not a great development, and that everyone's so scared about complimenting mm. anyone, it just doesn't happen. And it is right. what it is, it's just the culture. But the culture then was was a bit different. And but I think your original point about handling uh race here is is, is a good one, in that, like, you, you know, it's the first they key in on the a Chinese delegation at the peace conference, mm. which is mm-hmm. kind of a probably, I wouldn't say bold thing to do, but somewhat unusual given the cold war at the time. Like usually mm-hmm. you probably key on, on the Soviet um, right. delegation, but having, giving the Chinese props for their um, influence, I think here is, uh, is a good call. And yeah. I would say the character though, even better is that she has a good deal of agency. Yes. She's a pawn mm. of the master, but the master um clearly is manipulating her and she's trying to mm. resist and when she gets out of it um she's ostensibly sort of on the side of the good guys right so there yeah. is there's a good little development here um not a lot but i mean within the range of that character and it's never it's never really insulting so you know good stuff it is unfortunate that she turns into a dragon and <laughs> it is yes definitely unfortunate uh, that's you know that, that there is one point where oh don't, don't they figure out that it's her she was accompanying the master because someone says well a Chinese woman was you know with Dr. Keller and they're like oh that must have been Captain Chin Li oh yeah or maybe one of the 500 million other Chinese women on the planet uh, might have been <laughs> well, uh, they're not all in London though I mean that's true that's true that is true and probably less likely in 1971 etc cetera, etc cetera. but still you know assumption doesn't sit well yeah. today but Fair. but it is def- you definitely get the sense that the uh, you know that the westerners here, the British here are kind of shown up to be a little bit behind the times right first of all that you know they're in my case it's like casually sexist about you know, this Chinese captain because she happens to be a lady. Um, and, but also like the, the doctor shows up the brigadier by when he, uh, when he meets Fu Peng, uh, mm-hmm. this, right. this other Chinese character we see where he's like, no, you know, let's have, like, I'm going to speak to him in his own language. And that is Pertwee actually, uh, using that dialect of Chinese. Uh, he was nice. actually, yeah. Um, and uh yeah does, but, doesn't but he, really jibe with everything we've known about the doctor the doctor that is true. languages but the I mean, doctor I'll forgive will, it because i hadn't really established uh, that yet it, it is apparently yes it's new it's new doctor 
uh, you know, it's, it's much more uh, resonant with the new series when you get the sense that he's traveled much more widely. He speaks much many more languages than we know about. You know, um, mm. it's it's definitely that style of thing. Uh, but also that he's uh, he's got the culture and he's a friend of Mao Zedong. Isn't that interesting? That you that could, is interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like that didn't age well. <laughs> like yeah, in all this stuff, related entirely stuff possible like... <laughs> that that was just a bit too. Uh, you know, a bit to like, maybe we didn't know everything we now know about Mao. I'm not sure of the timeline on that. Mm. Uh, well, this would have yeah. been what? 71. I feel like. So if that's yeah. the case, I actually, I, I still doesn't give me that much clue to it, but well, it's pre, it's um, pre it's Nixon definitely- going to China. That's, that's one thing to note. Um, you know, Chinese still very much our enemies right. and, and, and all that. Um, but yeah, I think it, it was definitely, the era of, you know, as John Lennon puts it in, in revolution, like, you know, uh, if you go carrying pictures of chairman Mao, uh, you ain't going to make it with anyone. Anyhow, some fine Beatles wisdom mm. there for us. But, um, but yeah, you, there was, it was clearly that kind of level of like Mao was cool in a way that, uh, Che Guevara was cool. He was iconic. Mm. Um, and, uh, but yeah, we hadn't, I don't think we really knew everything about the cultural revolution in 68 at yeah. this point and how destructive that had been. So I guess it makes more sense. And, you know, there was definitely that sort of that romance with communism among the young people in the West. And, um, mm. yeah, Good thing that's so, all gone anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving so- swiftly on from politics. So if I could get on a quick my my tangent here and flip, pivot back to the massacre, quit. It's not a tangent, but this is my this is my master soapbox, and I, I, I feel the need to get it out of the way. Okay, so this is another example again of certainly textbook Doctor Who in the seventies, but it's an example of a master episode where he escapes at the end, and I just want to hold it up for a minute or two here as counter evidence to the prevailing theory that somehow the master died or well died. They, everyone says the master died at the end of every classic series episode and just came back. And I need, I feel the need to, whenever there's a master episode, no, incorrect. The master always either escapes or is taken mm-hmm. prisoner. He never, ever dies, at least not until, and this is only an implied death, Castro Valva. Someone go ahead, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I am. I'm fairly certain in every single Pertwee episode, it's a clear escape or mm. he gets ca- like at the end of the demons, he gets captured and he, of course he comes back because they set it up for him to come back. So yep. everyone's got to stop saying the master died at the end of every classic series episode that didn't happen. And I, I feel the need for this because again, clearly this is prevailing wisdom um, because I don't know if Chibnall said it directly, but he clearly brought back the master after having died again, right? Like the master, mm-hmm. the master does die a number of times in the new series, of course, as we all know. But mm-hmm. the people use this trope that somehow he died a lot in the classic series as like, oh, we can just bring him back because that's what fans expect. No, work at it. And if if you don't want to work at it, want to want to set yourself in the trap of like, I have to bring him back after he died. Just do what they did in the classic series and don't kill him. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. All right. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> It would it would be nice to go back to that for the next master. I absolutely agree. Uh, good rant. Uh, no notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was one note. I only yeah. it once. I will say. Okay, so here's here's my final thought 
on the mind of evil. And then I think we should move on to the four questions. Um, I, I am sitting here realizing that it is actually a smarter story than I, 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 you know, I didn't enjoy watching it. Right. But I, and now I'm sitting here thinking about it. I'm realizing how much of this story is about intelligence and different mm. kinds of intelligence and how they function in the modern world. Everything from this question of Barnum and his level of intelligence and like is, is evil only in the minds of intelligent people? You know, that's an interesting mm. point that the story didn't explore, but, but perhaps set us up to think about afterwards. Uh, intelligence in the sense that, you, you know, UNIT is the United Nations Intelligence Task Force. They are doing a lot more intelligence work here. Uh, you know, the brigadiers, bullheaded intelligence versus the doctors, more, more cunning, sort of culturally aware intelligence that definitely comes into play when talking to the Chinese delegation. Um, you know, and uh, and and the the intelligence of Joe <laughs> in beating the doctor with checkers, like you know, sometimes mm-hmm. the thing can be too simple. Um, you know, you can overwhelm the greater intelligence, and uh, yeah, yeah. So you know, and of course, the master himself. This question of you know what what is he is he's obviously some sort of super intelligent entity, and my mm-hmm. God, does uh, does Delgado ever knock it out of the park in every scene? that he's in, he presents himself as the, almost the epitome of urbane intelligence, you know? Um, Mm. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I'm liking it more. The further I get away from it, obviously it has problems. Obviously it's no inferno. Uh, And I think we're, (laughs) we're going to probably not give this one a Viscount Bang. I will, we'll see shortly, but, (laughs) but still, yeah, I do want to say that I, um, I'm glad we went there. I'm glad we watched it. Thinking about thinking. I, like I kind that. of, I'll also say, I kind of wanted to see it now in the black and white version. There's a lot of right. people saying yeah. this is one of the Pertwees that was colorized uh, because they only had the black and white broadcast. Um, yeah. I wonder if black and I white might be, might be more effective for this kind of story. Well, I, I got to say, I was very pleased to see it in color. Uh, we didn't touch mm. on this, but yes, because I grew, uh, when I was growing up and I, I saw this once or twice uh, when they were running Pertwee's, it was always in black and white. And I was very pleasantly surprised when I popped in the DVD and it's like, oh yeah, it's color. I think I'd heard about it being color, but I didn't really like have the moment where it's like, oh cool. Like all this stuff I've seen in black and white once I can now see in color. Um, I didn't realize it was actually colorized. I think, I could be wrong about this. I think like it was obviously it was originally shot in color. Yeah. But one of the episodes, I think only mm-hmm. one of them survived in color. Yes. And then they'd said, yes. well, like, why don't we just use that as the basis and colorize everything else? And it was it something like they, it was color. the black and white transmission was recovered and it had mm. the color information interlaced into it in some very technical way. So yeah, some, I some, see. Uh, okay. Some magpie electronics stuff going on there behind the scenes. <laughs> uh, anyway, totally. Uh, that let yeah, us... when you were talking about intelligence mm-hmm. there for a bit, um, mm-hmm. I think you might have touched on it. But the creature as well, yes, is yeah. apparently intelligence. So yes, that's that's kind of an interesting thing. And I, I I always sort of thought, and we'll get into this in the evil plot succeeding on it's it's a shame you don't quite get into its motivations and what it wants it never really has a voice um are we, are we led bad. to believe are we led to believe that the master picked up this intelligence on some other planet and and like disguised it as the keller machine that it was always in there or is it a creature that is spontaneously forming from evil thoughts 
You know, I, I think I, I prefer the second one. It, yeah. It's never clear. Like, I, I, I'll i tell you, I originally thought it was the first one, but it doesn't quite work unless he's got it lying around in his TARDIS because it's yeah. very well established at the end of Terror of the Autons. He can't go anywhere anymore. He's, the Doctor has his dematerialization circuit. By the way, kind of a weird reversal to suddenly just kind of give it back to him at the end of this one. Yeah. But, I do like that they sort of agonize over it because he sort of casually says, oh, I'll give it to you. And then he's like, oh, no, I can't really give it to him because then he's got the whole cosmos. But yeah. then he gets it. And so he has the whole cosmos. Yeah. Um, and then he thoughtfully I'm, calls him up afterwards from from a room yeah. we presume to be on his TARDIS and just to say thank you. Um, and also but I guess, really rubs it in about the Doctor still being an exile. Yeah, yeah. And I think what they were trying to do here, just knowing they probably knew the arc of their season and mm. they wanted to do Colony in Space one or two episodes later. So they were like, well, we need we need him to get it back because we can't mm. just be on Earth the whole time. Um, but yeah, I do think, getting back to the Keller machine, that it's it, it works better as like these evil thoughts have spontaneously formed a creature. Um Though I don't know if the script works around that that well. The mm. doctor does refer to it as a creature fairly early on, and uh, but then did the master just have this thing in his TARDIS somewhere, and just it was on ice, and he pulled it out, and how did did would he not know he can't control it? Yeah, uh, why is the doctor yeah. so unusually uh, curious, uh, incurious rather about mm. this creature? What the hell? You know, we've we've just come from dinosaurs on a spaceship where he was super excited to find dinosaurs on a spaceship, and here he finds a one-eyed bug-eyed monster in a vat. <laughs> um, but he doesn't have any curiosity, which seems undoctor-like even for the Pertwee Doctor. Yeah. At least we got to see the monster, I will say. I, yeah. I, for a minute, I kind of thought, does would this count as, remember we said talked about Midnight, and it's mm-hmm. sort of famously the first Doctor Who episode that doesn't show the monster. Right. And in a sense, this one almost was, but then almost. they kind of show it with the lid off for a minute. And then um, you kind of see this glob, almost like a Dalek mutant. I was going to say, it had a bit of a Dalek vibe to it. Uh, yeah, well, even the design of the exterior, right? Yeah. Like, that's why I actually have my little, little <laughs> knobby Dalek here in the I background. I love it. It's, it's kind of the Keller machine, almost. I could not um, stop thinking of the machine as, as a policeman's helmet. It really looked like a British <laughs> policeman's helmet, like Bobby, you know, the, the, on top. It just looked so much like that, that it really was super weird to me. Uh, you know, I don't know why I designed it like that. Would have worked better with mm. it, and I thought about this after. So it's it's kind of similar in some ways, at least design wise, to Nomad from um, that Star Trek episode, uh, the original Star Trek, where it's mm. this probe. Another one that mm-hmm. it's a probe that floats around the inside of the Enterprise and speaks and is mm. a character. And but it's, it's super powerful, so it's uh, uh, that does ring. This, this design mm-hmm. is very similar. So I I I don't know if this was a conscious tra- design imitation. Um, and there's also a point where you know in in this episode that the the Keller machine learns to I guess teleport itself. Yes. And by the way, my daughter loved the wiggles. She would call it oh, the wiggles. Oh, the wiggles! Because the screen would go all wiggly. Which is like, she was, just thought it was so funny. It's such a cheap effect, and you never see it on TV anymore. But you used to see it on British TV all the time <laughs> in the seventies. Like it was so, in every so, comedy show, and that's the thing—it has a comedy vibe to it. Yeah. So weird that they well, use like, it. 
it's like you know Garth and Wayne, like like we're going to Dream World, right? Yeah, that has not aged well. Those parts. Yeah, I think it might have been more effective and scarier if the machine was literally floating and moving around, and like it would sort of come around a door, you know, go around a corner through a doorway, and you'd see it floating there, and then you know you're screwed. Yeah. Um, the wiggle, like it was just, it's, that's kind of comical, you know, yeah. like you're trying to do this sort of dark episode with these fears and, uh, being exposed and then this thing killing folks, but it's just kind of silly. So yeah, yeah not Weird. so great with the design there guys. Weird shifts in tone. All right. Shall we shift our tone to the four tones that must play? Hey, leave the cheesy segues to me, sir. <laughs> uh, no, let's do it. Let's get, get a move on to the four questions to doomsday first question among the questions is of course why did the randomizer take us here you know i've i've been struggling with that one all week because there are so (laughs) few obvious connections but i i think that you know clearly the randomizer wanted to show us something different uh from dinosaurs in a spaceship and maybe it maybe it is that last thing i said of like the weird and curiosity of the doctor contrasted with the the boyish uh enthusiasm for finding new creatures uh of the matt smith era definitely prefer the matt smith version to the poetry version um and uh yeah i think it may be the the way that the master is treated is interesting the way that unit is treated the way that it goes mm. so real world and topical in this possibly right. more so than any time anywhere else in doctor who history and maybe it's the unit thing maybe you are correct and we are going to get a unit spin-off um and the randomizer mm. which has already taken us to you know what we need to see for the 60th uh is taking us for what, what we need to see in spin-offs and it knows already yeah. it knows by the way we we were talking about the spinoffs before the podcast. We do our TikTok lives every week, yeah. uh, which I think we forgot to mention. But yeah, we were talking about spinoffs in Doctor Who. We think we might see a unit spinoff. Yeah. And maybe that's what the randomizer is really excited about. Yeah, maybe it, it is. is. I uh, I thought about like dinosaurs on a spaceship and I thought about the most basic connection with this episode and that they both... They both feature missiles. Yes. <laughs> and the randomizer just likes shooting missiles at things. Missiles but he also likes being misused by the good guys as well exactly. as the bad ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the doctor hates missiles in both the third doctor and the 11th doctor, but they're both not opposed to leveraging them mm-hmm. to uh, see that the bad guys get what they deserve. And in Dinosaurs in a Spaceship, it's obviously Solomon. Um, in this one, uh, well, mostly the Keller machine, which is, it, it seems to be blown up. And, yeah. um, even though the doctor says earlier that at some point you need like a, the force of a star or something to destroy, like, I don't know. He implied, he says something along the lines, like to kid destroy the Keller machine would, hmm. would take something huge. And I didn't think of mere missile, certainly not mm. one with nerve gas. Mm. Well, uh, there, there we have it both, both three and 11 like it when things go boom. <laughs> that's here's the proof all right moving on to the second question what if the evil plot had succeeded okay so we're, we're taking this right that the evil plot is the masters and not units evil plot to, to dump deadly weaponry into the ocean um <laughs> i think we could do that yeah if the master had succeeded then 
Would he? I, I'm also not clear on how the master thinks that firing a missile at a peace conference is going to start World War Three. Because right. again, we talked about this in Battlefield. You, you'd be able to tell what trajectory the missile came in from. Right. And if it's coming in clearly from the UK's own land, no one's going to mistake that for like, you know, and it would be the British government would obviously hear from unit and learn from unit what had happened. And it actually might have the opposite effect, right? Yeah. Of bringing the nations of the world together, uh, you know, a kind of a watchman kind of thing where the master is actually, you know, the equivalent of the, the creature that appears in New York and dies immediately. So everyone thinks there's an alien menace. So they, they don't launch World War Three, right? Right. So the master and then they, they do a man international manhunt for the master. Yeah, and he doesn't get his dematerialization circuit back. <laughs> exactly. He tried and executed at the Hague or something. Yeah, I mean, in in that respect, the master's evil plot did succeed because he got his TARDIS back together. Uh, so <laughs> That's true. you know, uh, it's hard to say. So yeah, if he did fire the missile at London, which I guess that's a version of it succeeding. A uh, lot mm-hmm. of deaths and a lot of uh, global sympathy and outrage, and hastening well, the approach of a world depending world on state. how destructive it is. I mean, I guess if it's mo- just l- conventional ordnance and nerve gas, it's not going to destroy the whole city and maybe yeah. a city block, and probably you know a lot more dead because of the spreading of the nerve gas. But you you don't have a wasteland in the same. Like in other words, you know you could still have the new series and London be kind of a wounded London, but it would be generally okay. Um, so yeah, yeah I think, a, I think you're right. I don't think the master's thing, evil yeah. plot can succeed and just assume there's nuclear exchange and the world becomes a, a barren wasteland. Um, yeah, the other, the other evil plot, <laughs> the other evil the plot is the Keller machines. Hmm. Yeah. So it seems to like want to kill and eat essentially the the uh, fear of humans and yeah. when it gets sated at some point you know yeah. a, there's a there's a point where things slow down and the keller machine is just kind of apparently digesting its food and yeah we well, don't see with all that teleporting around i mean he must you know <laughs> someone should have told the the keller machine's mother should have told him not to run around for half an after, hour after it's eaten so many people's minds just like dude chill yeah. Take it easy. Just roll around on the ground for a bit. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so we've got to figure machine. out like, how fast is it eating? You know, what What is the rate of consumption here? And can we sort yeah. of how far can it teleport? Like we need information like that because either it could kill everyone on the planet, or it's like you keep it in a zoo and you throw it three or four prisoners a day. You know? Right there, you go. <laughs> So this is the thing, but is it, is it, it's apparently intelligent. The doctor says it is. So is it intelligent enough to want to conquer the world or at least parts of it and do something like it's, it's kind of dumb, right? Like it seems like it's a child at this point, which I think lends credence to your theory that it's, it's sort of just for a just formed intelligence because it's just killing everyone. You know, the master's clearly evil, but kind of wants to work with it, but it's still trying to, it's basically killing anyone it's near. And so it's very isn't almost it, animal isn't it, um, isn't it leaking something that looks like vomit at one point? Oh, yeah. Well, that's at the Which, end. That's I'm yeah. glad you brought that up because it's so random. It's like someone threw an yeah. egg on it and they just said they just had to go with it. You know, it's like, okay. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> that assume, is, you know. maybe that is the result of teleporting too fast after eating too much, young man. Ah. 
Interesting. <laughs> so, but I think what they were trying to do there, uh, you know, assuming it wasn't just a total accident, was that they were trying to signal that it was sort of breaking down or something and oozing out something. I don't know. I don't know. Totally, they never explained totally it. Unclear. It seems like there was a cutscene. The doctor is much more interested in, in getting out in a helicopter and making sure his cloak is inside the helicopter door before he takes off um, <laughs> than in anything to do with this creature. That, like, uh, I mean, did, did a genocide just take place when, when that missile blew <laughs> Maybe. Up? Well, that's the <laughs> other thing. Like, if it isn't a newly formed intelligence and there is a race of these creatures somewhere, I wouldn't mind seeing, like, a sequel to this episode that actually explores that. These sort of yeah. weird brain mutants that absorb uh, emotions, turn people into simpletons, and or kill them. All that would, you know, you could you could do some interesting stuff with that. Um, but you never really get uh, much intelligence from this creature. So it's hard to know, like if the evil, if it's evil plot succeeds, does it just basically get fed, uh, mm. for a while and conquer a small mm. portion of its, uh, of the world and, you know, gets people, people might even worship it. You know what I mean? Like, it's such a weird thing about evil and, and, the you know, the emotions of folks and how it affects them. I can see the cult of the Keller machine mm. becoming a thing. Here, yes, soon may the Kellerman come. Um, yes, well, <laughs> so it is the Keller machine is certainly not a great intelligence, but someone who did battle the great intelligence was Clara Oswald. Oh, when she stepped into the true. doctor's timeline and fragmented herself, which is why the third question is Where is the Clara Splinter? <laughs> Where is she? I didn't have a lot uh, here. It was tough. Yeah. There's a lot of places she could be, but like I say, I don't I don't like solutions to the Clara Splinter where she's actually working with the bad guys or furthering their side of things. Right. So my thought is that it's a weird coincidence that the Thunderbolt missile is in need of disposal right when there's this peace conference going on. So right. my thought maybe she's a part of the British government. She's on some intelligence committee. And is a troublemaker essentially, and has said, "Look, we've got to dispose of this missile right now." Right, and it just basically goads them into doing yeah. it and hiring unit to do it for them. So that's my thought. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you hire unit because uh, we really want to test them. Uh, see if they first of all, if they'll book us the same week that they have a peace conference. The first world peace conference lest we you know underplay the right. importance of this thing um yeah because the missile does need to be there at the end i guess to blow up the keller machine so that's that could be her doing right, right to kind of manipulate that uh and also to pay mike yates back for his comments about captain chin lee um <laughs> you know get get him beaten up a bit in the process of stealing the missile right. uh that works uh yeah yeah i like that i like that I'm, i've got no other notes so yeah she's 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 in the raf and she's like you know uh kind of talking to her opposite number at unit and she's like oh i bet you guys couldn't handle this as well like oh you've got a peace <laughs> conference you think that's hard i've got to dispose of a missile and maybe the guy on the other end of the phone is some mike yates type who's like Oh, don't worry, Dolly. We can take care of that for you, too. We can take care of it with one <laughs> hand tied behind our back because we're a unit, you know? Uh, maybe we it's my case himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, our Girl, maps I got some amazing maps. 
<laughs> you got come, to see him. Come back to my map room. I'll show you my missile. Yeah, hey. Love a cuppa. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Wow. There she is. There she is. And I'm going to say that it was actually Mike Yates himself that she was flirting with because she knows how easily manipulated <laughs> he is, uh, even if he doesn't necessarily like the dollies. All right. Moving on. <laughs> moving on to the final question. The only question, the question that matters most for the mind of evil, which is what did we think of it? The pull to open rating system has four ratings, which we went over a little bit earlier. But to remind you, there's the Dalek, which is a good episode of Doctor Who. The Ogron, which is a not-so-good episode of Doctor Who. The Professor Hater, which is a not-so-great episode, but at least we learned something, probably, about how not to do Doctor Who. (laughs) And the Viscount Banger, which we reserve for the best of the best episodes of Doctor Who. So, what say you, Chris? I hate to go for the Professor Hater two weeks in a row, and I think that there are definitely <laughs> some Dalek aspects to it. But but now we have a sort of new, uh, you know, we, we sorted this out in last week's episode that Professor Hater is better than an Ogron, because as you say every time, Pete, at least we learned something. And I think we learned a lot. I think this is Doctor Who taking a risk. I think that that's often what a professor hater is. It's Doctor Who taking a risk, trying something new, going in a new direction, even if it doesn't work out, even if they've thrown too many pieces of spaghetti at the wall and had that spaghetti form into a uh, creature that <laughs> sucks the evil out of you. Um, it's st- It was still worth trying. And I think it was totally worth trying throwing in all the modern elements that you have here. Right. Um, so yeah, professor hater for me. But again, a, you know, a, a shiny, we might almost, almost call him Senator Hater. Like he's, he's tall, he's confident. Uh, he walks into a room and gets scared of a dragon. Um, yeah. By, by the way, good American accent on a, in our Doctor Who American accent watch on that Senator there. He actually did well. You know, I'm usually a Dalek or Ogon guy. And yeah. I, I originally thought this one was a Dalek, a very confused Dalek. Um, <laughs> But I think as you were just sort of speaking there, I've, I've kind of revised my rating in my head. I, I'm 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 going for the hater too on this one because yeah. even though I stand by what I said early on, which is that this is this is it. This is 100% proof 70s Doctor Who. It's unit Pertwee James Bond style adventure. The Master's in it. Um, it's not one you're gonna really want to come back to. Mm-hmm. And I think there are other examples with that crew of unit. Uh, era at its prime that right. you would um this one's a thing more, there's more here than you might remember i think it's mostly dependent on you coming more than halfway yeah. um but the uh th- there's just a lot wrong with it i mean i mean it's just kind of you know it's very I, confused. There's too much repairs to do yeah it's a confused dollar it's a, i would have said it was a confused dalek instead i think it's a pretty dapper looking professor hater so yeah an example of how how to almost do 70s Doctor Who right, but it doesn't yeah. quite do it right. It's not quite got the master right, and it's not quite got unit right, especially. Yeah. It's definitely how you don't do unit. They do not do security for some damn peace conference. That's not unit style. They are supernatural investigators. They are X-Files. That's what they do. That's where they're best off. Uh, X-Files with a little bit of extra military thrown in. Yeah, five rounds action rifles. Yes, five rounds rapid. By the way, would make a great title for the (laughs) spinoff. There you go. Boom. Five rounds rapid. It's just like five episodes. Uh, 
<laughs> it's like so fun. we close the books yep. on the mind of evil with a double hater rating. Yes. All right. Well, now that we're done, even though our dematerialization circuit is on the fritz, we're somehow <laughs> going to get it. Go, go, get, we're going to transport ourselves somehow to the next adventure. For yes, a, we're, we're going to take. We're going to take one last look at John Pertwee out of the corner of our eyes and say, oh, "Sorry that you're trapped on Earth. Here we go off into uh, time <laughs> and space again." Um, but yes, we have the randomizer. The randomizer is composed of two elements, the codex and the executor. The codex is played by the spreadsheet that Pete has up before him that lists all of the stories we haven't been to. Uh, Pete, what is, how many stories have we not been to? We have not been, oh wait, I I gotta, I've got to update the number in my head. So it is 228. Wow. Okay. So 228 televisual feasts of Doctor Who remaining to the, the pull to open mission. Um, and uh, I am okay. using the executor. There it is. Uh, yep. The other part, random not random all. Random element. The random element. Um, and uh, sorry, give me that number one more time because I'm plugging it into random.org as we speak. 228. 228. So, so that is what I plugged in. So random.org uses atmospheric noise uh, to uh, deduce an actual random number, not using an algorithm which just guesses at randomness. Randomness is a particularly weird problem in computing. Just ask your nearest nerd. Um, but that's mm. why we use random.org and we challenge the randomizer before I choose this random number. And I think I'm going to say, yeah, let's <laughs> let's certainly get out of the Pertwee era. Uh, I kind of do want to do Tom Baker. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to say that, but also maybe just give us a story that does unit right. Hmm. Okay. That'd be all right. Which isn't Funny necessarily poetry, yeah, but... Yeah. I'm going to say, so because the master reveal here was so underwhelming, mm. I'm not going to restrict the randomizer to just master reveals. I'm going to just say, give us some kind of epic reveal, mm. whatever it is, some kind of twist and that, you know, pulls out the rug from under us and we're just suddenly, whoa, I was not expecting that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Give me something like that epic reveals okay let's see if you give me a countdown we will find out where in time and space we're going next what's happening in four three two one at all 77 i think we're still in all two the tom baker drought is over yes we're at destiny of the daleks what what? what the the one that was missing the missing yeah <laughs> missing from the codex for so our, long our scandal <laughs> that we rarely talk about but yes we started out our codex our, our original codex was destiny free <laughs> <laughs> yeah well okay so it's finally taken us there this is great because yeah. destiny of the daleks is the first doctor who story that i can actually remember sitting down to watch where I like knew what the title of the story was, where I was really in it. And I was terrified of Davros and it's absolutely terrified nice. when his light blinks on, uh, in mm. that cliffhanger. So we'll get there. We'll also yep. have some good time with the disco Movellans. 
<laughs> Always a good time with the disco novellans. Yeah. Um, my goodness, is it? It's amazing. We're I got to say, have that weird Romana regeneration. Oh we're, wow, we're, I got things yeah, to say yeah. about that. Oh, holy cow! I just remembered that for yeah. sure. Um, we we're very far away from Dalek Bingo. We're <laughs> almost as far away from Davros Bingo. This will be, I believe, filling in all of Tom Baker Dalek Bingo. Really. I believe so. Really? Done yes. Legopolis, which is the little cameo. Yeah, yeah cameo Dun Genesis. Dun Genesis. And I don't know if there's any others besides this one. Wow. Maybe there are. Wow. Well, let me know. I think you're right. It was a bit well, of a Dalek drought. Anyway, we will uh, revisit the bingo card next week. You can fill in yours with the last little bit here because I've just done my last cheesy segue to say, hey, guys. This is Pull to Open. It's a podcast. If you have not subscribed yet to this podcast, we invite you to do so now on whatever app you're at. Also, please check us out on YouTube at pulltoopen.com slash YouTube. Subscribe there. There's also a little bell icon you can click, which will let you get notified every time we have new content on YouTube. And we have it quite often. Uh, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. On the socials, we, we are at. I'm so excited about YouTube. That's the problem. Like I, 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 my body was preventing me from transitioning to talking about TikTok, where we had pulled to open, constantly uploading videos there. We're having our lives every week before our podcast tapings. So please join us on TikTok. Lots of great conversation. We're on Twitter at pull to open 63 and on Instagram at pull to open 63. Big shout out to Martin West, who just completed some new music for us, which Whoa. I believe you are hearing now uh, as I cut the podcast later. I'm That's not hearing it now myself, but you are, and it's amazing. Thanks, Martin, for the music. Uh, and we will see you all next time for The Destiny of the Daleks. It is your destiny, and we'll see you then. Take care, guys. 